wonderful people. This is the Women's Empowerment Power Hour with Dr. Jennifer. I am Dr. Jennifer and I am thrilled that you have joined us and joined today's discussion. We have weekly chats about issues that impact and empower amazing women. Today we are going to be talking about boundaries in the workplace and getting the confidence to ask for what we want in our jobs. Sometimes this is really hard for women, even very accomplished women. We need to get over that and learn how to draw boundaries so we can do the job we were hired for. Joining me today for this really important discussion is Lauren Supina. Lauren, would you mind uh, introducing yourself? Yes, I'm Lauren Zapina. I run Wide Lens Coaching and Consulting, and I have decades of experience working in women's empowerment, whether it is with corporations, through politics, at the White House, nonprofits, and foundations. And it is something that has passionately fueled my life and my career and there's a lot of good information out there that we need to make sure people know and women know so that they can use their voice and use their actions to live their best lives. Yeah, thank you. So obviously you are amply qualified to discuss empowering women by helping to inform women about what they might ask for in the workplace things that might be helpful professionally to ask for from your employer. Yes, I think it's important that we look at the health of our relationship with our job. And just like in any other relationship, you are providing things and you're getting things. It's a give and take, right? And A lot of times women have been socialized just to say, this is my job and I just keep quiet and I don't cause waves. And there's lots of different reasons. And part of it has been the culture. Part of it is society. Part of it is what the expectations are at work. But I think we're seeing a lot of that change. And it's up to us to be part of that change. It's up to each one of us to make sure that we're happy where we're working, make sure we're happy with what's going on at our workplace, with what the culture is, and that we try to get our needs met at work before we perhaps just leave. And of course, there's a lot of talk about toxic workplace and things like that. And that is a thing. This is this conversation. What, what are the ways where we can use our voice and have these conversations, very frank conversations about what we need from our jobs in order to be mentally and physically happy. Because there's a lot about burnout. There's a lot about, you know, people burning the candle on both ends. And there's a lot that we can do to set boundaries, to use our voice to speak up and to change things, and also to model that for the generations that are coming behind us, that we model setting boundaries, speaking up, saying no. There's there's just a lot that goes on in the office that we can 
have an effect on if we are watching what we're doing, paying attention and using our voice. Yeah. Thinking about when I was a young professional, uh, making a start, thinking about climbing the proverbial ladder, I I think I was, I just assumed that my good work, my long hours, the things that I do above and beyond would get noticed and then I would get rewarded for that, right? That certainly someone is paying attention and certainly my supervisor or my boss would notice that I went above and beyond in this report or this project or this meeting or whatever and I would wait and I would wait. And, you know, it's important, I think, and I honestly think that we model, but we can also perhaps learn from younger professionals who seem to have a different mindset about professional development and, and the importance of it. So what I wish I had known when I'm putting in all those extra hours, instead of, you know, killing myself, hoping that someone would notice is I should have marched my behind into my supervisor's office and said, you know, I really value this job. I've been putting in lots of extra hours. One thing that I really would like to discuss with you is fill in the blank. You know, um, uh, can I uh, take a course or professional development or, you know, there's a, th- a thousand things that could come there that we women need to know no one is paying attention or I shouldn't say that. It is the exception that someone is going to say, wow, you're doing great. I'm going to reward you by giving you more pay or something. Right. And I think it's one of those things where we need to be our own advocates and we need to keep track of our accomplishments at work, what we've been doing, what has gone well, where we've learned, where we might have helped others and have an ongoing conversation with your supervisor. It shouldn't be something where you just wait till the end of the year to say, hey, how did it go? It should be an ongoing. How is this going? Where? What can I do? I want to be considered for this promotion. I want to be considered for a raise. What are these things that I need to do? And use your voice. Make sure that that communication is clear. I think there's also a big um, discrepancy between this unpaid work that women also do in the office. It's all the unpaid work that we do at home, but we do a lot in the office too, where it's assumed we're going to be the ones that create this culture of, is there a birthday that needs to be celebrated? Does somebody need to pick up the cupcakes? Does, you know, some organizations that are smaller, it's who's who's cleaning up the conference room afterwards, after the meetings, who's taking, you know, pains to make sure that the new person is, you know, onboarded in a way that is welcoming and and things like that. And these are all things and tangible tasks that Uh create an office culture and also help an organization run well. However, it's not what's considered when you're coming up for promotion or for a raise or anything else. And women can spend up to 200 hours a year 
doing this kind of work that doesn't count for a promotion. And it is this balance of, you know, we're socialized to believe that, oh, well, if I don't do this stuff, then I'm not a team player. Whereas most men are not doing that or not feeling they're not a team player. Yep. And there, there's a lot about society that thinks, well, if she's not doing that, she's not a team player. It's the offhand comments of, oh, she's the office mom because she's looking out for everybody. Nobody says somebody's the office dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and when did it become somebody else? Usually somebody who is a mom has, and fathers too, they have a lot of things going on, as do people who are single or childless. Um, but there is this expectation that you're going to take on this additional role and in some organizations, yeah. but it's how do we say no to that? How do we bring it up to mm-hmm. in a meeting and say, Hey, we need to acknowledge Jennifer has been the person who's doing this every month and making sure that we all feel special or, or making sure that the conference room is put back together the way it needs to be after an all day meeting. And this takes time and effort. How can we um, balance these tasks with everyone? Yeah. Or who is assigned this where it does have a role in what their their promotion is but most of the time in leadership positions that's not and it is the kind of thing where men walk out can walk out of that conference room and it can be the chairs aren't pushed in and the markers aren't put away or whatever the laptop cords are sitting there and they can just go on with their day and nobody gives it a second thought Whereas if women do that, it's, oh, yeah, she used that last and she didn't straighten up after the meeting. Exactly. That has to change. And the way it changes is by bringing that conversation up and addressing exactly what has to be done. Hey, I understand that there was there was nothing left behind, but could everybody push the chairs in? Could the last person, no matter who it is, if you're the exec, you know, executive at the organization, or if you are, you know, a junior associate, can you make sure the, you know, lights are turned off or whatever the, the job is, but there's a lot of that that goes on at the office and, you know, goes on at home. I think it's the stereotypes and the way we are socialized at home has crept into the office Yeah, and and it has to stop. And to your point, we can learn a lot from people who are generations, you know, below us and people new to the workforce who have a more egalitarian view Mm -hmm. what has to be done. Yeah, so much to unpack there. So the way that you you just described uh, bringing up, hey, this isn't really fair, was so it just was so effortless. And I, I think that a lot of women feel like, hold, hold on a minute, I'm getting the shaft here because why do I have to get the birthday cake or why do I have to throw the retirement party? But they feel like, well, if I make a deal, a big deal out of this, then people are going to think I'm being difficult or my boss is going to think that I'm assume that that I'm not willing to take on extra work or whatever. But 
if you couch it the way that you just did, just, you know, hey, why don't we split this? I'm happy to do it this time. Or I feel like I've been do been responsible for the birthday parties a lot lately. I'll do this one, but can we agree to share this responsibility? Whatever, there are ways to approach that discussion without aggressive. it being a conflict, right? right? Aggressive. I think a lot of yes. times you think of zero to six, going from zero to sixty, and when we don't bring these things up and they perpetuate in the office, we get resentful of it. Anybody yes. does in yes. any in any situation where you are being taken advantage of, then you start to get resentful and then it kind of blows up yep. and somebody screams or somebody feels that they're not a team player and it becomes something bigger than what it needs to be. I also think it's important for colleagues. If you're the person who sees somebody who's doing all of this stuff all the time, you can bring it up to the greater group. Hey, I noticed that Jennifer is doing this all the time. Or even if you're the person who's doing it, say, you know what? Every time my office is next to the conference room and every time I walk by, I'm the person who has to make it look nice. This is important for when clients come by, we see this happen. Can we all do this, male or female? And it is sometimes it's just making other people aware of it. And then there are other times where people are aware of it and they just think it's beneath them. And you have to figure out how your organization wants to deal with that. But another part of that is saying no mm -hmm. and learning how we can say no that isn't a abrupt, aggressive no. Yeah. And I know that women have every right to be aggressive and men are aggressive all the time and, and they're thought yeah. of leaders and setting boundaries and things like that. But there are a way to have these conversations in the workplace. And a lot of people do these this very well. You can also learn this through coaching in how do you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And just that's it. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to raise your voice, but your power lies in holding firm and not doing that anymore. Yeah. yeah. that Man, that's a hard lesson to learn because I grew up and it was, you know, you say things nicely and when people walk past your boundaries, then you get angry and you feel like you're not being heard. And so many women are not heard in the workplace. And there is a lot of power in repeating yourself and in not doing the action that you feel everybody is wanting you to do or that they are wanting you to do there. You have the power to not do it. It's, it's like the old saying of you have a lot of power. Just don't sign your taxes until you understand everything for people who are married. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure you understand everything. Don't sign it. Don't, you don't have to have all of this discussion. You don't have to have um, a lot of angry words. You have to just, keep your boundaries. Yeah. And it's not saying no to something is not inherently confrontational. If you say it in a way, you know, like you said, yeah, I have been responsible for the workplace 
social functions for a couple of years. And, you know, I was happy to do that, but I would really appreciate if someone else would pick up this responsibility or whatever. That's not confrontational. It might feel like it and you might need to practice that so that when that situation arises, you don't feel like, oh man, I have to yell to be heard. Or if nobody listens to me, I'm just going to lose it. So understanding that boundaries are healthy. And when you say no, it's fine. It's not confrontation. It's you saying, this is my boundary. And can we work together to hold that boundary? Right? Yes, I exactly. That's exactly it. And there's so much weight behind saying no to something. And because we have been socialized that we we want things to flow easily. We want everybody to think we're nice. We want everybody to think, you know, we're so thoughtful. We want things to just go smoothly and for people to be happy in the office. And there is a story, a lot of people and a lot of women tell themselves that by saying no, they're disappointing all of these people and that's bad and horrible. And so they try to work it out. And that's how we get burnt out. <laughs> is that we try to do too much rather than saying no, releasing the guilt about it, releasing the disappointment that others might be feeling because we can't meet their expectation and releasing the expectation of others that we will just do this. And I'm not talking about your performance in your job, right? I'm talking about the unpaid hours that so many people do, mainly women mm -hmm. and at their job that is not considered when you are up for a raise or yeah. promotion or the end of year bonus or anything like that. And then average of 200 hours a year, that's roughly 10% of the work that you do in a year. That's not nothing. So uh, that's a yeah, lot of. I, yeah. And, and it's usually women of color who are doing a lot of these, uh, yeah. uh -huh. these jobs, who it's expected. We all need to be watching for this. And white women need to be watching who is who are we all expecting to clean up the, the uh, meeting room or w whatever it is. If it's women, if it's women of color, if it's pe person of color, whomever, we need to watch as women and be allies for each other. Yeah. And it's that little thing where your boss may stick their head in your office and say, Hey, it's so, so-and-so is getting a big promotion tomorrow. Can you go grab, make arrangements for a cake or a party or something? And you have a male counterpart who has the exact same position as you do. And they're, they're not asking that the male to do of course. that. Yeah. And it's how do you say, you know what? I have a busy day tomorrow. Why don't you ask Jim to do that? Uh -huh. or, you know, but it's tricky because most of the time women will feel like, oh, I'll just take care yeah. of it because it's not worth them raising the eyebrows about it and maybe not putting me on that next great assignment. But what it does is it perpetuates this cycle as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we are. If women had felt more comfortable doing it, 
30 years ago, you know, the expectations would be different or maybe it would be different. And, and so by using our voice and figuring out a solution to address it, it makes all the difference for ourselves and for our own individual wealth, but also for those that come behind us. Saying no may cost you a little bit of professional capital. As you said, you might not get that great next assignment. But I also believe that people respect you for standing up for yourself. Oh, sure. And we have to start spending that capital on other women, on ourselves and on other women. Because men spend that, they accrue that capital many times faster than women. And they spend that capital on other men all the time. All the time. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. They stand up or support each other in meetings or if they're up for partner or, you know, I'll bring you into this next big deal kind of thing. That happens all the time. And women need to do that for other women. And it even goes to when you're in a meeting, bring another woman along with you, maybe bring a colleague who could also have her voice shared or her ideas shared at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We need to lift each other, pay it forward, send the elevator down, whatever, however you want to word it. We absolutely need to support each other. So back to the 200 hours, the extra uh, work that we don't get you know, we can't write up in our annual report. You mentioned keeping track of extra things. And I think this is so important, you know, when you go in for your annual meeting. And I, you mentioned, and I absolutely agree, don't just have a once a year meeting with your supervisor. Meet with them quarterly, meet with, you know, whatever schedule you can agree upon with your supervisor. You want to be in front of them talking about what it is that you're adding and what you're working on and the things that you have brought to the organization or to the discussion. So you need to keep, just as Lauren said, you need to keep record of these things, not really petty, small things. But uh, because then when you meet, I took notes at this meeting on January 2nd. That comes across as very petty. But it also doesn't have to be, I published this major manuscript. It doesn't have to be that large, but you do want to report to your supervisor and be confident uh, and approach the meeting with confidence and tell your value. Um, sell yourself to your supervisor. This is what I add to this organization. Don't say that necessarily. No, well, but I think it's fine to say that. This is the value that I'm bringing. And, you know, another area is DE&I work. Yeah. You know, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Women do a number of those and mainly women of color. Yep. And it's something like, you know, 40% of women say that their work isn't recognized, that kind of uh-huh. work isn't recognized at all during performance reviews. And 
you know, this is a McKinsey study that just came out. McKinsey and Lean In, I believe, did this. Uh-huh. It's very true. This, these initiatives and DEI work is what people are looking for. Are companies doing that right now? And how are they handling that? And that should be tracked and monitored. And one of the solutions is, is if you feel like they're not, or if they're not adding value or counting that as a as value, then the organization needs to look at that as a whole. You need to voice that because they are reaping the benefits of that. And that's really an important point because uh, women of color, people of color get tapped to serve on search committees yes. a lot disproportionately. This is something that majority individuals, white women, white men don't, we, we don't have the same experience of giving our time for search committees. And it takes a lot of time. If you've ever been on a search committee, it's a lot of work. Um, this is definitely something that you could write up on, on your report your annual report quarterly report whatever but uh and you should you certainly should but we also need to acknowledge that people of color give disproportionately amounts of time to these efforts right yeah i i think that's absolutely true and that's the kind of thing that is it as you said it's being recognized it's you know, those efforts are helping their bottom line in so many different ways and they should be tracked and quantified. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and recognized when it comes time for bonus. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a tough balance to have, but it's critical that we use our voice and we outline what's going on. We communicate it rather than just being silent about, well, I'll just do this on the, on the side and what are their expectations? And maybe it's the kind of thing that if, whenever your performance review does come up officially, you can say, look, I did all of this. If this is not something that affects my bonus promotion raise, then we need to find somebody else to take care of that next year, because I need to focus on what yeah. I need to and you can say that it's not doesn't have to be a conflict it yep. is just outlining fact uh-huh yeah so what would you advise a, a woman who approaches their supervisor and and says i i would really appreciate if i could if we could schedule quarterly reviews or check-ins so that I can get your feedback on, so that I can talk about what I've been working in on and I can get your feedback on my performance. And they're hesitant because that's time away from what they plan to do. And they, in essence, you get pushback. You ask for more frequent meetings and more feedback and they say, you know what? I'm good with just meeting once a, once a year. You're doing a great job. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's tricky. But I also don't think it has to be this formal review where you're submitting what you believe you you accomplished during the year and they're looking at it all. It can be a conversation of here's my metrics for the year. It's important for the employee 
to say, here's my, here are my goals for the year. And here's, you know, my objectives. This is how I'm going to get there. And it's a conversation every quarter of here's where I stand so far. Do we, are we on the same page? What can I do to do better? What can I do? What can I let go of? And, you know, I'm tracking my hours, but onboarding this new employee has taken 20% of my time. And I know it doesn't affect other employees. This is where it's important not to mention people by name, but just to say it hasn't affected other employees the way it has affected me. And if it's not being considered in my performance review for my bonus raise, whatever it is you want, then we need to figure out how I can let that go in the third quarter, because I I want to focus on my goals and objectives. And it's not an easy conversation. And there are so many, you know, supervisors, managers, directors who will say things like, well, you know, we'd all like to leave right at five, but sometimes we have to put in a little bit of extra work or, or something like yeah. that. This is where it's important to push back, to think about what your life balance is, to think about how the organization is dealing with communication and mm-hmm. being honest and open and transparent about how they are, what their credentials are or what the milestones and, you know, markers are for getting that raise or promotion. Yeah. And I think that organizations and leadership in particular could really improve the way that they communicate to their employees, their expectations, their willingness to have discussions about, for example, uh, your supervisor says, I have an open door policy. So you plan, okay, I'm going to drop in because they have an open door policy. I'm going to drop in and talk about my performance, but they don't actually have an open door policy. They think they do. So communicating what leadership means by I'm available anytime you want to chat. So getting that clarification before you walk in with your report when is a good time to talk about I, I just like a check-in and i think that leadership of almost any organization spends far too much time or i should say far too little time thinking about work culture and work employee satisfaction and so when someone comes in and gives notice it should not be a surprise you should know what's going on with your employees in my opinion. No, I think you're absolutely right. That's 100%. People should be aware of the culture. They should allow employees to weigh in. There should be open communication. And that's the thing that is, I think, the hardest for a lot of employers is to have that open and transparent communication about expectations and deliverables and, you know, where we all fall and who's happy and who's not. Yeah. Yeah. And what the reasons are, because it's also tough for companies and organizations to try to meet everybody's needs, right? They have to to draw the line somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think, I think knowing that when people are hired, you know, that this is, this is what our culture is. This is what our expectations are. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, yeah, working to have that open communication with each employee. Uh huh. And I love that. And starting an, a new employee's uh, experience with a company by explaining this is how this is how it works and this is how we communicate. And, you know, the best way to get in touch with your supervisor is this way. And just on the importance of, of a thorough kind of onboarding and, and maybe uh, having a mentor or uh, somebody to help you in the onboarding process, but back to working up the courage to go into your supervisor's office and you know you're at the end of your your rope and you're working too much you're at the on the brink of burnout on sunday night if you start to feel sick that things are getting bad and you need to make a change and before you get to that point have a discussion with your supervisor that, that i'm really struggling with whatever and ask for what you think might be helpful. I would really like to work with a professional coach to help me manage my time or write reports or whatever it is, or, or work on spreadsheets or ask for something that will help you feel better about your job and enjoy it more. And before you, you know, I regret to inform you, I will be leaving as of this date. Try to to have these difficult discussions, even though they're difficult. Yes, I think that's the key. And and again, that's where I think sometimes we, we add too much weight to the discussions and we, we try to just sweep them under, under the rug and tell ourselves it doesn't bother us or it's not a big deal. And if it's, if it keeps nagging at you, it is a big deal and it is something that you want to change. And so stepping forward and having that conversation, it doesn't have to be a long conversation either. It can be just a short, just bringing it up. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the same thing that we do even in our friendships and, you know, relationships at home is that mm-hmm. we avoid and avoid and avoid, it only gets worse. It never gets better. Yeah. Right? Yes. And so, you know, but you also don't have to come down hard on it. You can just say, this is something that's really bothering me. I find that I am the person on the team everybody turns to, to do the DE&I work. And that's interfering with the work that I want to do that, will get me promoted or get me ahead or that that's not the work that I came to this organization to do. Yeah. I'm happy to be on a committee that does that, but there needs to be a shared weight. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think uh, again, the longer, if there is an, an issue with your employment or your supervisor or your work, the longer that you sort of let it fester, the worse it can get psychologically and the bigger a problem it can become in just your your happiness in your job or it just becomes bigger and so i i think that having you know it depends on your supervisor obviously if it's someone who you who goes out of their way not to make eye contact with you well 
it may be hard to have a discussion with them about hard things, but it's worth trying for your own well-being um, to make to just to let them know this isn't working for me and and try to be specific, right? Do, do you agree with that? Yes. I think the more specific you can be, the better, because usually on these types of tasks that are being predominantly given to women or women are stepping into because nobody else is doing it, we're vague about, we don't even want to talk about them. We just want to get them done and we don't want to acknowledge the work and it has to be acknowledged. I mean, we saw during the pandemic that women did so much more of the work at home, even when men were present in the household the whole time. Yeah. And it pushed so many working women to burnout, to breaking points because they were dealing with, you know, the laundry, the dishes for three meals a day, the cooking for three meals a day, the the extra childcare. How do you get your elementary school kids on Zoom and things like that? And it's not talking about it and just thinking it's easier to just do it myself than to ask somebody else to do it or to talk about it. Oh my gosh, I still do it. I have teenage boys and I... <laughs> It's easier for me to just clean the kitchen rather than to ask them for the third time to clean yeah. it, to just bring in the trash cans. And that's the kind of thing that it, you know, we accommodate in a house, but uh -huh. in a place we should not. Yeah. And we need to be very clear and communicated. Uh-huh. And so we've used examples of like party planning and taking notes and meetings and and e and, I, e and I work, but it also can be things like, would you type this into a spreadsheet that someone with your, that I, it's not someone, a man with the same job title, the same, you know, the same status might not be asked to do because it's, it's typing, right? It's clerical work. So would you put this information in a spreadsheet or would you type this up and send these details on this meeting, whatever? So it's, I mean, there, there's a gray area between, I think, kind of party planning and more substantive work that still, I don't know, kind of falls on women more than men. And this is, again, not everything that you do obviously goes your annual report. But the um, sometimes putting together spreadsheets or typing things up can take a lot of time. And if that sort of work it constantly falls on you, I type like 90 words a minute. So I always got the typing right. assignment. It also takes energy, even if it's exactly a yeah. it takes it takes mental energy and you get interrupted a few times and and that's mental energy that you're not spending on the work that you want to give your full effort to. Yes. The interruption that, you know, you're the person everybody goes to for to ask about you know, who calls to get the copier fixed. I mean, yeah. a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of the bigger organizations, of course, have people specifically for these tasks, but the, it runs the gamut. And those are oftentimes in smaller organizations, things that women are dealing with and mm -hmm. it's constant interruption that takes them away from their train of thought or their deep thought. 
And it takes, I read someplace that was like six minutes to get back into the complete flow that you were in. Yeah. That just adds up. And that's a lot of mental wasted energy. Uh Uh-huh. And emotional energy, right? Because if you're sitting next to a male colleague who is doing something, a project that is really meaty, and you, your supervisor asks, will you type this up into a spreadsheet and send it off to me by the end of the day? I really need this. You're going to process a, a little bit of disappointment, anger, maybe. Resentment. It's, exactly. So along with that, you're not just going to, okay, I'm, if you're brand new, you might just, okay, well, I guess this is part of the, this is what I need to do. But then when you realize, oh, wait, that guy, that man is at the same professional level that I am. We work together. We do the same job, essentially. Why am I typing? And he's going to meetings about designing new programs or something. Exactly. Exactly. And that happens a lot. Yeah. He is. Use our voice. Yeah. Talk about it, have a meeting called for it, mm-hmm. if that's what it takes, even though people don't like to have meetings. And I know there was one company that just came out this year that said, we're not going to have any meetings over two people are not going to happen anymore. Yeah. And, um, but but it has to be addressed. Yeah. And bears repeating, it is okay to let your supervisor know, uh, you know, when you turn in or when you send off the email with the spreadsheet that you just spent six hours or whatever work typing on that have it use that as an opportunity to open a discussion about this isn't really what I envisioned this job would be if you're new or this isn't I really don't feel like this is I'm contributing or I'm sure that you have a better way to put it, Lauren. <laughs> How? What would you say to your, you know, you're frustrated with essentially the amount of clerical work you're doing? Right. Or the amount of any kind of work that isn't. I would maybe take a week and track it and, you know, or just assume, you know, put some numbers by it and go to your supervisor and just say, or go to your partners at the firm and just say, this is the time I'm spending on this. I'm here because I want to spend time on, you know, what my mission in life is or my career or what I'm here, the work I'm here to do. I don't want to do any of this anymore. So we need to figure out who is going to step into this role. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, I'm happy to do some of this, but this is an enormous amount and we need to figure out who else is going to take the the role. And don't leave the meeting until there is a clear plan for somebody else to step in because too often people say, well, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And then it just keeps falling to you. Exactly. Yes. The key is the, you know, the open communication, the standing firm. And then the, you know, moving forward. And if things don't change, you come back and you have that meeting a month later 
and say, look, we talked about this. I'm still using most of my time for DE&I. I'm still the person that is asked to be on the panels, to make the statements, to look at resumes. And this is not what I'm here for. I believe that the firm needs to hire somebody to do this work, or you can add this to my bonus. Yeah. You can call mm-hmm. this, you know, this needs to be, you need to outsource this and that's going to cost you X amount of money. Or if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to be compensated for this. Yeah. So, and there's a way to just have that conversation and sure there are going to be a lot of, this is easier said than done. Yeah. And there can be a lot of people who say, well, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe she's not going to do that. And that's when you realize this isn't the right place. This isn't Ex- the right fit. Exactly. Right? And um, that you, yeah, you have to kind of be open for that to be a possibility. If you go in with an ask and you get dismissed out of hand, try again. But you have to be open to the possibility that maybe they're not willing to adjust to keep me. So something that you said that I really want to underline, because I think this probably happens 95 times out of 100. If you bring an issue to your supervisor or boss or however you want to term it, that you leave with, Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'll think about that. Hopefully we can come up with a solution. Right. And then and then bye-bye. And nothing happens. They may intend when they say that, they may have every intention of doing everything they can to help you, but as you're walking out the door, the phone rings and that is the end of the discussion essentially. So I really liked that you added don't leave before you get some kind of a resolution and it's not going to necessarily be, okay, we're going to do this and this on this time frame. But what would you say to someone who wants to avoid the pat on the head? Yep. That's really that you have a good point. I'll think about it. Um, I would say, okay, give them, you know, then decide on, Will you have an idea in 48 hours? I mean, it sounds it sounds tedious, but it is you want to give people a little bit of leeway because maybe they do need to think about it. Sure. But you want to follow back up and you want to be clear so that you're not the person who's always, you know, I hate to use this word, but nagging, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's how they associate it with women. Whereas men, they would say, "Oh, they just followed up. They're really good with the follow through." Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, you just want to follow up and say, you know, and then document it and say, yeah. we had this conversation on January fifth. I followed up with you on this date and this date. This is unresolved until I'm going to for you know." And then you bring in somebody else you bring in the office administrator you bring in the hr department or something and and it's just this is how things need to happen uh-huh can't be this we're all just figuring it out and we're just going to be vague and sweep it under the rug yeah. and it all gets done and yeah. it doesn't work that way we're seeing that it doesn't work women are burnt out they yeah. are you know 
tired. They are yep. handling everything. Their their health is suffering. Mm-hmm. They are not progressing in the workforce at the same rates as men. Yes, yep. we're seeing a little bit of progress. We have more women in the, you know, in Congress now. We have, you know, more women are heading Fortune 500 companies, but it's very slow progress. Oh, but it's so it's- minute. The Right. The it's like progress. It's yeah. another 150 years before yeah. we have gender equity. So uh-huh. we have to use our voices now. We have to talk about these things and point them out. And I'm a big believer in the compound effects of using our voice and pointing things out. And so maybe something isn't resolved the first time. Maybe somebody else brings it up in a private conversation. Maybe the third person who brings it up that's the one that makes the difference. But it was the compound effect of people hearing it a number of times. You know, you always hear the story of somebody who is doing something and, you know, there's got to be the messenger who tells them, hey, you can't come to work late anymore. You're you're always late. And this person who has to tell them you can't be late feels, oh, how am I going to tell them this? You know what? That person knows they're late and they've been told that so many times uh-huh. in previous jobs, in their you know private life. They already know that. It's the compound effect. And it yeah. might you by you delivering that message to them in a calm way of like, we don't stand for this. I know you're, you're late all the time. You're always late to these meetings. What are you going to do to change it? I'm guessing eight, nine out of 10 times that person knows that and has been told that before. Yeah. You're not the first person. So just remember that you're not the first person to point this out at an organization. You're not the first person to point out the inequity. And if you are, you're making sure that the people who are second and third are going to actually be able to see some change. Yeah. And just understand that there is nothing wrong with advocating for yourself. That is all you're doing by bringing to your supervisor's attention that, that you're burning out, that you're taking on, or you're being assigned too much that isn't really in your job description or is being assigned to you because you're the only woman in the department or whatever. You're just advocate. You're you're pointing out what is fair and advocating for yourself. Men have no problem doing this. You know, right. generalization, but men don't have any problem walking in and saying, look, you, you have to, you know, whatever it is, advocating for themselves and making some noise so that they get what they want. And we just need to get better at doing what they are doing. And as I said earlier, spend your professional capital on yourself by confronting something that is is unfair inherently that you you are being asked to do work that isn't part of your job or you are being asked to do more work than you should be or, you know, whatever the situation is, um, there is nothing wrong with advocating for yourself. Absolutely. And if you need support, if you are getting ready to go in and have a difficult conversation, you might think about working with a coach to practice, to talk through the issues, to figure out, to problem solve. 
HR is not necessarily the place to go with these issues. Unfortunately, they frequently are not in the business of problem solving employee issues. Unfortunately, that's been my experience. But yes, and oftentimes they work. I mean, HR they do work for the company, and exactly they are slated to, you know, make sure things go along, and and you know they have their own set of things. And I'm sure a lot of people who are in HR are saying, "Yeah, I spend so much time doing therapy with people or trying to coach people, and that is not in my job. That's not what I'm paid for." Yeah. It, with a coach, you have confidentiality. You can work through things a little more at ease and you can work out different aspects where somebody in, in HR is probably not going to coach you on how to ask your boss for more money or for a raise or for that promotion. You can go talk to them about it perhaps, but they work for the company and I don't know what their confidentiality yeah. agreement is. Whereas if you have an outside coach or mentor that you can talk to, they can help you, they can help walk you through these things. And that is something that people can ask for. They can ask for a coach to help them with leadership skills and with communication skills, Mm -hmm. anything that you want. Yeah. And that's perfectly reasonable to ask. And it's actually a win-win for an organization because you provide something to the employee that they're asking for. And what you get is a skilled up employee who has worked with a coach on issues that they've asked to improve. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, if anybody would like to reach out to me, it's Lauren Sapina and I am at wide-lens.com and would love to hear from anybody if they want some insight on how to walk through these things, just send me an email and we can set up a time to talk. And it's invaluable advice and, you know, having gone through dozens of jobs, it really does help to have, you know, sort of a third party hear what your situation is and give you um, their thoughts and, is it as bad as I think, or maybe it's not that bad, or what are some solutions? What might you recommend? Okay. And then just to practice, like, honestly, to practice, I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask for this. How should I say it? Because you don't want to stumble around words if you have a very specific ask. And that's something that you can work with someone to, to narrow down to is what, am, what is my specific ask? And what is my specific argument for why that would improve the situation? I don't know. Does that, you agree, Lauren? Yes, I, that's absolutely correct. Great. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me to discuss this important topic and definitely this falls squarely in empowering women. Um, advocate for yourself. There's nothing more empowering than that. So thank you so much, Lauren, for having this discussion with me. And I look forward to having you join me again in the future. Thanks, Dr. Jennifer. As always, it's great talking to you. All right, wonderful friends. Thank you so much for joining Women's Empowerment Power Hour with Dr. Jennifer. 
I know you're busy and there are a multitude of things that you could be doing or things you could be listening to. And we appreciate you tuning in to listen to us today. If you are interested in leveling up your leadership communication skills or doing a deep dive into improving your workplace culture, I would be happy to talk with you. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Jen T. That's D-R period J-E-N-N-T. I am always grateful to hear from you. Please keep tuning in. We love to have you join us. And until next time, have an empowerful week.